I love being a part of a church that's making a difference in the community. And this morning, we just saw all kinds of examples of that, how we had all of our kindergarten children up front, and it just reminded me uh, not only of the future, but also of the present. And it reminded me of the important work that moms and dads are doing right now as they're training and instructing this uh, next generation of disciples. It also reminded me of the good work that uh, Johnny Markham does with our family ministry and Hope does uh, with our children's ministry and also reminds me of the work that Alex is doing with our students, all such important and good work. It says something about the future. And then I look over in the left-hand corner and I saw all of our precious VIP members and uh, saw, heard John uh, lead our scripture this morning. What a great job John did. And again, it, it reminded me of things that we're striving to do uh, as a church in, in this uh, community. But, but we're doing more. We're doing things really all over the world. Uh, I solicit your prayers for my wife, Jana. Uh, she left on Wednesday morning early with uh, Cindy Herring and one other person from their office from Healing Hands. They traveled over to Poland, and they made it to, to Poland just fine. And for the next two weeks, they're going to be ministering to and working with uh, precious brothers and sisters who've had to flee from Ukraine uh, because of the war that's raging there. Uh, she's called me a couple of different times with just amazing and wonderful stories about the faith of our brothers and sisters from Ukraine. But I'm telling you that story because I want you to know that we're involved in that work. It's not just something she gets to do because she works at Healing Hands. We're involved in that work because we support Healing Hands uh, every month. And so when we see and hear the great things they are doing, we can have this sense of, of we're partnering with that organization to really make a difference all over the world. I love being part of a church that's not just focused on itself. Sometimes churches get criticized for that, and maybe rightly so. I love being part of a body of Christ that has a community vision, really, and a, and a world uh, vision. Well, today we're uh, continuing our message series. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you may want to turn to 1 uh, Peter chapter uh, 1. And I want to begin today uh, by telling you a story that uh, one of my favorite gospel communicators uh, told. It actually happened to him. He was having uh, lunch one day, and, and as ha he was having lunch, he noticed uh, this young girl, she came from the back, she worked for this particular restaurant, and she had in her hands a bucket of Thousand Island salad dressing. And as she was making her way back to refurbish the salad bar, her heel caught and she tripped, and the bucket of salad dressing goes through the air and lands on an unsuspecting patron. Here's this gentleman, he's about ready to cut into his steak, and suddenly this, this tub of Thousand Island dressing hits him. It rolls, the Thousand Island dressing comes down his, his uh, forehead, off his chin, onto his lapels, onto his tie, all over his pants, on his shoes. He's covered from head to toe in Thousand Island salad dressing, and he is livid. He begins to scream at this young lady who, who inadvertently tripped. He says words to her that would make a Marine drill sergeant blush. 
He says to her, I cannot believe you've done this, how clumsy you are, how stupid you are. I can't believe you have done this. You have ruined my $500 suit. I've just bought this $500 suit, and now you've ruined it. And he is screaming, and she says to him, I'm so sorry, sir, I'm so sorry. And she's trying to clean things up, and she's trying to make things right. And suddenly, uh, out walks the manager, and the manager says something very stupid. The manager says, uh, I'm sorry, is there a problem here? Uh, of course, there's a, a, a problem here. And he says, sir, we're going to make things right with you, sir. We're going, to, we're going to have your suit cleaned. He says, I don't want my suit cleaned. This suit is ruined. This is a $500 suit. I want you to make this right. I want, and they're arguing, and you can hear it all over the restaurant, and everybody's, you know, at this point paying attention to what's going on. Finally, this man and the, the manager walk to the back of the restaurant probably to work things out. Now, here's the interesting thing about this story it happened on Sunday around lunchtime now I wonder why why would a guy be wearing a suit on a Sunday just after lunchtime could it could it be that he just come from hearing an amazing sermon and how God calls all of us to be different. I wonder, could it be, could he just have come from a gathering of Christians where he heard about how we as God's people are to be holy, we're to be distinct, we're to be other You see, the truth of the matter is God is calling us as his people to be different. We're to be different as we have experiences in restaurants, I, I'm told, I don't know if this is true, I don't know if it's a scientific study, but I've heard before that Christians who've just come from, from church are some of the worst tippers ever. God is calling us to be different when we attend athletic events, when we sit in the stands at athletic events. You, you've been there before. You've seen people act a fool. Maybe some of you have been that person. You've acted a fool when your team doesn't get the right call or whatever. God calls us to be different in the workplaces. God calls us to be different in the classroom. God calls us to be different with regard to how we handle our social media accounts. God calls his people to be distinct and to be holy. So last Sunday morning, we began this message series looking at holiness, and we were in Isaiah chapter 6, and we saw how that God himself is holy. And we saw how that, that when we see God's holiness, it helps us to understand and see maybe more accurately our own sinfulness, our own brokenness. It helps us to see, get a better vision of our own flaws. And we begin talking a little bit about what holiness is not. We, we talked about some holes in our holiness. We said that sometimes we hear that word, and it sounds kind of old and archaic, and we almost think it's, well, it's holier than thou. And so we might think, well, holy people are those folks that are, that are above others or judge others or maybe a little angry. And we said, well, that's not it. We also said holiness is not a, a checklist. It's not a list of external things we have to check off. No, holiness, it's more beautiful than that and so today we're in this passage of scripture first peter chapter 1 13 through 16 as we think about living differently having a holy life for 
holy for God, as we think about that, we're going to see two really important themes, powerful themes, transformative themes that grow out of this paragraph of Scripture. And as we're going to see in this message series, we'll understand that, that these themes kind of converge and really, really work together. I want us to think about hope, one of my favorite words, and I want us to talk about holiness and how both of these big ideas have transformative power. Now, before we, um, we go any further, I want us to define the word hope. You see, oftentimes when we think of hope, uh, our definition of hope is entirely too weak. We think of hope as, as wishful thinking, or maybe when we think of hope, it's kind of this passive feeling, and yet the word hope is a lot stronger than that, at least biblical hope. Hope is confident expectation. And so when I say I hope the Vanderbilt football team wins the SEC championship this year, honestly, I mean, do you honestly believe that's going to happen? I mean, even those passionate, committed Vanderbilt football fan, and I realize I'm speaking to some of you in this room, you would have to admit that's only wishful thinking. Sometimes we think that's what hope is, but hope is not that. Real biblical hope is much stronger. Here's what real biblical hope is. Hope is, is confident expectation that God will make good on his promises. So think about that, that definition. Hope gives us a sense of confidence. We have this expectation that God's going to come through. That whatever God has promised, he's going to make good on that promise. And so one of the things we're going to learn about, about hope is that hope is, it's about the future. God's going to make good on these things he's promised us. It's about the future. But the wonderful thing about, about hope is it impacts our lives right now. Because if I'm looking forward to the future and I know God's going to make good on this promise, it's going to give me power. It's going to give me the ability to live a certain way right now. Hope, you see, should lead to holiness. Now, there are two commands in this paragraph that we're reading today, and we're going to look at both of them. But the first command has to do with hope. The other command will have to do with holiness. But here's the first command. It's in 1 Peter 1, verse 13. And this is where, where Peter says, therefore, with minds that are alert and sober, notice, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. The command in this statement is we're to set our hope. This sounds strategic. This sounds intentional. We don't just kind of fall into this hopeful perspective that's how we think it works but it really doesn't work that way this passage says we are to set our hope on something notice what we're to set our hope on we're to set our hope on the grace to be, be to be brought to us when jesus christ is revealed as his coming now when you think about grace and we like to talk about grace it's an important topic but when we think about grace, most often we think of it in terms of something we receive in the present. We know salvation, for instance, is by grace through faith. Grace is this gift. It's this unmerited favor, and we experience it right now. But in this passage, it's talking about a grace 
that will be revealed when Jesus Christ comes. This is his second coming. You see, we're to set our hope. We're to think about that. We're to long for that. We're to anticipate that. And so the question is, what is this grace that we'll receive when Jesus Christ comes? Well, I think it's many things. It, it is, for one, when Jesus comes back, will be raised from the dead and be given a new, resurrected, glorified body just like Jesus. So we're to think about that. We're to think, okay, I got this body right now and I, I like it, okay, but this body gives me some trouble, especially the older we get. You know, we go to the doctor and the whole reason we're going to the doctor so he'll find something. You know, he's, he's searching, he's hunting, he's looking. You know, we're just thankful he doesn't find anything, but we know he's going to find it one day because we have these bodies that, that wear out. But, but we're longing for this time when we're going to be getting a new body that's resurrected and glorified like Jesus. That's the grace that we're looking forward to. That is an amazing gift. But also, when Jesus comes back, we'll stand in front of him and we'll receive these rewards. Again, that's a gift. And then when Jesus comes back and we anticipate this and long for this, we'll reign with the Lord in the new heaven and new earth. In this environment where there will be no more sin and disease and death, everything in this new environment, in the new heaven and new earth will be made right. And so what Peter is saying is, I, I want you, he says, I, I want you to set your hope on something, not some vague, generic feeling. No, I want you to set your hope on this grace, on all these things that we're going to experience when Jesus Christ comes back. Peter is saying there is something wonderful, something beautiful, and it's, it's just around the bend. I want you to be thinking about that. Now, that's the first command. The second command is in verses 15 through 16, where here, Peter says, but just as he called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, the first command, it it looks more toward the future. Set your hope on this grace. But the second command, it looks, it looks to right now. And it's describing how as God's people, we are to live in the present. And the command in this passage, you be holy in all you do because, because I am holy. The command is be holy. Again, I want you to see the connection between these two big themes of hope and holiness. Our hope in the future should lead to holy living right now. Now, according to this verse, hope is rooted in the very nature, or rather holiness is rooted in the very nature of God. God is both the premise and the pattern for our holiness. Be holy because I am holy. Now, holiness is a spatial term. Now, I, I didn't say special. I said it is a spatial term. And when I say that, what I mean is when God is calling us to be holy as his people, he is calling us to be distinct, separate, different. 
other. When someone or something is holy, it's set apart from the rest. The Gettysburg Address in 1863, President Lincoln declared the Civil War battlefield in Pennsylvania to be hallowed ground. What did he mean by that? He meant that because of what took place on that battlefield, it would be forever different. It would be forever special. It would be set apart. You wouldn't just stroll into this battlefield without seeing and understanding and even feeling that 50,000 young men gave their lives in that spot for freedom. And so Lincoln said, this is hallowed ground. This, this place is holy. I think sometimes we have a hard time understanding what this idea is, what, what it means to be distinct, or, or this idea of being set apart. It's hard for us to grasp that. So let me help you understand it this way. Uh, Jana and I, we have two sets of china. We have two sets of china. And it's really quite amazing. Um, you know, we hardly ever use this china because it's only for those special occasions. It's only for those really, really set-apart times. Now, if I were to come home for lunch, and Jana were to be there, and, I, and just imagine I had our special china out, and I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on it, and I had some potato chips on the, on the plate, and I'm just eating away. Jana would come in looking at me, you know, like with a shriek on her face. What are, what are you doing? We don't. You, that's only for special occasions. We only use the fine china for special occasions. And so far in our life, our 14 years of marriage, we've not had one of those special occasions. But, but I'm sure there will be one one day where we will get out that fine china. And we, it's set apart. It's, it's distinct. Uh, some of you have rooms like that in your home. Maybe it's, maybe it's a dining room, and that is a special place. I mean, uh, you know, you vacuum it once a year because nobody ever goes in there. and Nobody ever, you don't sit at that table. It's, it's special. Maybe, maybe the only time you use that special place is on special days. We call those holy days, or they've morphed into the phrase holidays. And you know, there are certain days, holiday, holy days, holly, holidays that are really Special. We, we do different things. We do special things on those days we don't do on other days. My favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. I know some of you like Christmas. I love Christmas, don't get me wrong. But Thanksgiving is kind of my, my favorite holiday because there's, you, know, you don't have the stress of buying a bunch of presents and you know, all, all, all of that. But there's some special things we do on Thanksgiving. For instance, we, we cook this big turkey. Now, I have a son who thinks turkey is a common bird. And so why would we eat that on this special holy day? He says we ought to eat steak. It is, as he says, the tuxedo of meats. But, but, I, but I, I differ with him a little bit. We think, and I'm a traditionalist, so we're eating turkey. No ham, no steak, turkey. But, but it's not just sliced. We, we buy, you know, the big, you know, 300-pound butterball, you know, thing that you got to cook for two and a half days. And you know what I'm talking about. And, and you do things on that day. You don't do, I mean, there are special foods. There's one food that I prepare, and I, I'm not a big cook. But on that day, I, you know, and Jana knows, this is a special day. Because I'm cooking or fixing this special salad thing that I've come up with. It's kind of passed down through our family. So, you know, there are special things you do 
on these holidays, holy days. In the same, in a similar fashion, God himself is set apart. And now he calls us as his people, imperfect as we are, to be holy. And so we need some pictures. We need to understand what this is. So let me give you a couple. Uh, holiness, it, it looks like the renewal of God's image in us. Um, Adam and Eve were created in the very image of God. But you've read the narrative long enough, and you know Genesis chapter 3 comes along, and Adam and Eve, they, ch- they decide to go their own, way, their own way. That image is marred. And because of the sin that they commit, and because of the sin that has infected our world, we experience things like guilt and fear and loneliness and disease and death. Sin so infects the world that by the time we come to Genesis chapter 4, not only do Adam and Eve, are they out of relationship with God, but now Adam and, but now humankind is out of relationship with one another. In Genesis chapter 4, Adam, or rather uh, Cain, kills his brother Abel. We, we know that. And while all of that is true, we are still image bearers, even though that image has been distorted and marred and the big theological word that describes the process where we become more and more like God is the word sanctification and through the Holy Spirit now those of us who are in Christ are being made to be more and more like God this transformation process is gradual and progressive and oftentimes very very slow but in 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 Paul Paul talks about how we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory holiness looks like the recovery and renewal of the image of God within us here's another picture of holiness holiness looks like obedience now I know this may not be a popular message you would much rather me talk about the love of God and the mercy of God and the kindness of God and all of those are biblical themes and important themes and you hear me talking about those you hear me talking a lot about second chances and do-overs because that's all in the heart and nature of God but also God calls us to obedience what does holiness looks like look like it looks like obedience and so in the text that we're that we're reading today in verse 14 of of first peter 1 uh, peter writes as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance ignorance there he's not talking about you just didn't know he's talking about spiritual ignorance you were you were separate from god now you've become christians and because of that don't conform to the evil desires no no you're going to be different because you're you're obedient children now now If you're a parent in this room, you you understand this verse a little bit. Because one of the things you want for your kids is you want to teach your kids to obey. That's one of the important things that moms and dads do. And maybe when we're kids, when we're looking at life from that perspective, we think, well, well, dad's a tyrant. Wants me in by 11 o'clock. He doesn't trust me. I should be able to come in at 1.30 with the car. What's he think? No, no, as a a dad, as moms and dads, we, we... 
we set boundaries and rules not because we want to be tyrants or because we're harsh or because we're mean to our kids. No, we want our children to flourish. As moms and dads, we, we love our kids deeply. And I think until you have a child, maybe you don't understand the depth of that love. In a similar way, God loves us. Why does God set boundaries? Why is it that God gives us certain commandments? Is, is he's trying to take our joy? He's trying to steal. You know, he's, trying, he's a tyrant. That's who God, no, that's not who God is. God is this parent, this father who loves us. And he knows how we flourish best. And as a result of that, he gives us commands that we're to follow. From time to time, I'll hear someone say something like, well, I, I don't want to talk about obedience. I want to talk about love. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14 and verse 15, if you love me, you'll do what I say. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We can talk all day about our love for God, and yet if we do not obey him, the word is we're liars. Now, that's a harsh word, and maybe you think to yourself, Kevin, you're being a little too harsh at this point in the sermon. Listen to John again in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 4, where he says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Holiness, it looks like obedience. As we strive to be a distinct people, part of what that means is this commitment to do what God asks us to do. Have you ever thought what the opposite of holiness is? I think I would define the opposite of holiness as worldliness. Now again, that, that word is kind of an old word. It seems kind of archaic, worldliness. I mean, I, I know in the past we used to have all kinds of definitions of worldliness, and we said, well, you know, going go to movies, that's worldly, or, you know, Playing face cards, that's what, you know, we used to have all these crazy definitions of worldliness. This is the best definition I've heard recently about what worldliness is. Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and godliness look strange. Holiness looks like obedience. Now at this point you may be saying, well, I, I wish, I wish I had a, a picture of someone who actually lived like this. And someone says, well, well God, God is holy. This passage says, be holy because I am holy. Well, I know God is holy, but God is spirit. I wish there was a person. I wish there was someone who, who modeled this for us. I wish someone who was flesh and blood. Can, can you give me an example of that, Kevin? That person is Jesus. Jesus shows us what holiness looks like. Kevin DeYoung, in a book he wrote a couple of years back, writes this, and I think this is so good. He says, we see in Jesus the best, most practical, most human example of what it means to be holy. He is our model for love, our model for humility, our model for facing temptation, our model for steadfastness in the midst of suffering, our model for obedience to the Father. He was always gentle but never soft. He was always bold but never brash. He was pure, but never prudish. He was full of mercy, but never at the expense of justice. He was full of truth, but never at the expense of grace. In everything, he was submissive to his heavenly Father, and he gave everything for his sheep.
Holiness, it looks like Jesus. And holiness is not optional. We, we saw in this passage in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 that actually he's quoting from the book of Leviticus, that Old Testament passage where he says, you be holy because I am, am holy. While, while it is not optional, sometimes to us it seems impossible. But here's the beautiful thing. Jesus is our holiness. As the Hebrew writer said, Jesus is both the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so if you're sitting in this room today and you're thinking, yes, I, I hear this call, and this is, this is the kind of life I want to live and the kind of person that I want to be, what I want you to know is your first step toward holiness is to admit you're unholy. And as you admit that, you will begin a process, God will begin a process of making you holy. We've had the privilege um, here at College Hills for at least twice since I've been here for John Clayton to come and lead seminars uh, for us. Uh, Clayton is a noted apologist. He was an atheist, and uh, his story, like several, uh, was that um, he uh, wanted to disprove Christianity, disprove the Bible, so we began reading the Bible for the first time ever. And, and as he did, he slowly, as the Spirit will do, began working on his heart, and he became a Christian, and now he's one of the leading, at least among our fellowship, one of the leading apologists. He does these seminars all over the place. What I didn't know is that that John, uh, John's uh, adopted three children. The first child he adopt, adopted, a, a young person by the name of Tim. Actually, uh, the adoption was set in place before Tim was ever born. But Tim was born with all kinds of, of, uh, of, of uh, issues, all kinds of complications. And I understand that because of COVID-19 last year, Tim died from COVID-19 complications. When Tim was born, he had cerebral palsy, muscular dystrophy, schizophrenia. By the time he was 13, he was totally blind. John describes the last conversation he had with his son. His son lived to be 59. So he got COVID last year when he was 59. As a result of complications, he passed away. But, but he was very ill, and before he passed away, John had the, this conversation with his son. And he recounts the last conversation he had. His son said to his dad, Dad, I'll see Mom again soon, won't I? His mother, Phyllis, had died about 12, 13 years previous. And John Clayton said, yes, son, you'll be with her. She's, she'll be waiting for her, for you. And then he said once again, Dad, I'll be able to see her, won't I? And then John realized what his son was saying. And he said, yes, son you will be able to see her. In the new heaven and new earth, he'll be given brand new eyes. And he, for the first time since he was 13 years old, will be able to look into the eyes of this woman who loved him. And in the new heaven and new earth, for the first time, he will be able to take his arms and he'll be able to wrap his arms around his mother and hug her and tell her that he loves her. See, that's what I call hope.
hope, hope is this, this anticipation, this, this vision of the future that impacts how we live right now. And brothers and sisters, understand when you have that kind of hope, not, not wishful thinking, uh, not, not mere feeling, but when you are expecting, when you, when you understand because of this hope, you know God's going to make good on his promises. That's going to give you the power to live a certain way right now. That's going to give you the power to live a life that is holy and distinct, different. And I think that kind of life is what people in our world need to see. It's not common. It's not ordinary. It's like God. That's what he's calling us, to live differently. He's calling us to pursue a holy life, holy for God. Today, if, um, if you feel like you're far away from God, we'd love to help you. If you have a need, we can help you with. I'll be down front. We'll have a shepherd and his wife in the very back. Come as we stand and sing this song designed to encourage you.